Matthew chapter number 8. Uh, we're going to read verses 5 through 10. We're midway through this series on 10 choices, and I think that this passage will help unlock the choice that we need to make this morning. And I want to read just a few verses here. This is a story of Jesus uh, coming to a man that's a centurion, a Roman man, and the centurion has a request. So let's pick up the story in Matthew 8, verse number 5. It says, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So you have to understand, here is an enemy soldier, all right? This is not a Jewish man. This is a Roman man. The Jewish people are subject to the Romans. An enemy soldier, a centurion, comes to Jesus distraught, and he appeals to Jesus for help. And here is what Jesus says in verse 7. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. No problem, man. Text me your address. I'll be over as soon as I can. I will be there, and I will heal him. Like, wish granted, I can do this for you. And here's the response of the man in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now, there is intense humility, and there is intense faith there. This man who is above Jesus, politically speaking, socially speaking, I'm a Roman and a centurion, you are Jewish, you are my subject, says, I'm not worthy that you would come under, there's humility there that is just insane. Then there's the faith, Lord Jesus, just speak the word only. And his logic for just speak the word only is given to us in verse number nine. Here's what he says. I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. He says, Jesus, I know how this authority thing works. I know what it's like to have words that are honored, that are obeyed. I know what it's like to have words that are authoritative. I know what it's like to have words that help people to stand at attention or change their direction. I know what that is like. And Jesus, you are Lord, and what you say is authoritative. So I respect and I honor and I understand the power of your word. So I don't need you to come. I recognize the authority of your word. Just speak it. Jesus' response is in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He says, I can't even find this faith in a Jewish person. And here you are a Roman with this faith. Like not many people get this, but this guy gets it. And this morning, I want you to get what the centurion got, and that's choice number five. And this is an important choice. It is a choice that will save you a world of hurt if you will make this choice. And here's the choice. I choose God's word as my authority. Uh, I have three thoughts for you this morning. Each are in the form of a question, and the questions are this. Do Christians really need to make this choice, the choice of choosing God's word as their authority? Why should I make this choice and how can I make this choice practical? So this will be pretty easy to walk through, but I want to take those in turn, starting with do Christians really need to make this choice? And I understand that there could be a sentiment that goes like this, Mark, don't Christians already kind of naturally choose God's word as their authority? Like, don't you have to kind of be fond of the Bible to be a Christian? Don't they go hand in hand? Is this actually something that Christians need? Because the majority of the room this morning is Christian. Is this a choice that all of us need to make? 
And I can tell you absolutely and unequivocally that the answer to that question is yes, Christians do need to make this choice. The, re- the latest data from the Pew Research Center tells us that in the city of Pittsburgh, 78% of people profess to be Christian. There are uh, about 10% that profess to be, I don't know. Then there are about 4% that are atheist, 4% agnostic, and then 4% makes up the rest of, you could just, a little bit of Jewish, a little bit of Mormon, a little bit of Muslim, a little bit of whatever. But 78% of people profess to be Christians. But yet Barna Group published a study last, uh, I guess it was maybe October, it was around this time of year, last year, and it fascinated me. It was a study on biblical illiteracy amongst the top cities of the nation. And it found that Pittsburgh was one of the most biblically illiterate cities in all of the country. That Pittsburgh was equally as illiterate when it came to the Bible as Seattle and was very, very close, one percentage point behind a Fresno, California or a Sacramento, California or some of those sorts of cities. And what that means is that what we've known to be true, the, the data backs up what, is, what we've known to be true. That there are a lot of religious people in our community. There are a lot of professing Christians in our community. But coupled with that, there are a lot of people that just don't really dive into the Bible or really know or understand the Bible. And there are a lot of ways that this happens. I can't, I can't tell you every way that this happens, but I'd at least like to give you a few. And perhaps you, I will peg you and your heart and your life concerning the Bible. And I'm sure that if I asked you in the hallway, hey, do you love God's word? You probably would have said, yes, I do, pastor. But I think the day-to-day reality of our lives will tell us if we love God's word or not, or if it actually is our authority or not. And perhaps you're one of these people. Some Christians treat God's word like a buffet line. And you've heard this before, that there are those that want to pick and choose. Just like in a buffet, you go there and, hey, I like that, but I don't like that. That looks good, but that has too many calories. I'll put this on my plate, but I won't put that on my plate, and I'll just pick and choose. And there are many people that treat the Word of God that way, that, well, I love that God loves me and that grace is sufficient part. That's fantastic. But forgiving other people, eh, they really, really wronged me. I don't like that. That part that there actually is heaven and hell, like, eh, don't like that. The part that Jesus would die for me, so I actually need to repent of my sin. I'll take what I like. I'll, I'll stiff arm what I don't like, and I'll put it off to the side. I'll skip it. Yeah, no thanks. And some people treat God's word that way. Some people treat it like trip cancellation insurance. Ever book your airfare or your hotel, and at the very end, there's the add-on that's coming at you, right? Would you like to add for $10 a person cancellation insurance so that in the event of an emergency, you can cancel this and get a full refund, terms and conditions, good luck actually getting a full refund, but you can cancel this and get a refund in case of emergency. And most people, if you're like me, I look at that and think, man, that's not much of an investment. That's just a few dollars a person. But what are the odds that I'm going to face a crisis today? Probably very minimal. So yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have that, but I don't think I'm going to have an emergency. I'll skip it. And a lot of people treat God's word that way. And they say, you know what? In case of extreme emergency, I would love to have God's word. I would love to have the word of Christ dwelling in me richly. I would love to just be meditating and memorizing scripture and be in God's word. But I doubt I'll hit a crisis today. And it's a minimal investment to open it up, to read some, to spend a little bit of time. But I just don't know that the investment's worth it. I think I'll be okay without it. Some people treat it like a seatbelt. And I'll be 100% honest. You know why I wear my seatbelt? 
It is not because I want to stay safe for my wife and kids. It's not. It's because it's a law and the little dinghy dings at me and annoys the fire out of me. That's it. And I so, sometimes I don't want to wear it so badly that I just let it ding. And eventually it will stop. I've never been in a car where it didn't stop. I can promise you it'll stop. My SUV, I get to about the stop sign at the bottom of the hill and the dinging's over with. It's very short-lived. My van, no, you can, you can probably get, you know, to Cochrane before it stops dinging. It's very annoying. But eventually, it will stop. And that's the only reason I wear it is because I don't want to get a ticket, and I don't want this thing to ding in my ears incessantly. And some people treat the Bible that way. Well, I guess it's the law. Like, I guess I'm supposed to. Like, I'm Christian. It's my obligatory duty to go read God's Word, so I'll do it. Or I'm going to have guilt ringing in my ears all day long because Pastor Mark preached about the Bible, so I have to read the Bible. And if I don't, I'm going to feel guilty. So to get the ringing out of my ears, I'll just go read the Bible. It's a bit of a nuisance, but I guess I should let me go do this. Some Christians treat God's Word like an English diagram, meaning, and I'm sorry all you English majors, I think English is important. All of the young people in the room, teenage, college, please invest in, in your English studies. It will be worth its while. But I have yet to figure out a practical use for diagram in a sentence. Like, I just haven't figured out how that specific facet of English helps my life. I can do it. I can do subject, line, verb, direct object, indirect object. I, I can do it, but I just don't know how that has ever helped me in my life ever. And some people look at God's word that way. Like, hey, I guess this would be mentally good. I'm sure this would have helped me or sharpened me somehow, but I just don't know how this is going to help me. Like, it's even kind of tough to understand how it all fits together, and I just don't see a practical benefit from reading God's Word, and honestly, there couldn't be anything further from the truth because there's so much help and there's so much practicality to God's Word that you're missing out on if you're not there. Some Christians treat it like terms and conditions. Ever been there? You install the software, download the app, whatever it may be, and there's this big bunch of stuff that you broadly sign off on, but you have no idea what it says, and you have no idea how to understand it. And that's where a lot of, I think, our community is. It is this way that I'm a Christian, I'll broadly sign my name to the Bible. Yeah, I like the Bible, God's Word, sure, but you ask them, hey, what did you read this week? What's been speaking to you? Oh, yeah, I'm not a I don't really read it. Like, I, it's tough to understand, you know, the, by all those words. It's, just, it's tough to understand. It's big. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. Well, tell me a verse that you've memorized. Tell me something that, you, you, your favorite verse in all of the Bible. Well, I didn't, like, cleanliness is next to godliness. I think, like, King Salamander said that. Like, that's where a lot of people live. Like, no, that, that's, that was Franklin. That, and Solomon was his name. That's not how it works. There's a lot of people that will broadly sign off on it, but I just, I mean, this Old Testament, New Testament, I just can't get it. There's some people that treat it like a rough draft, and this one actually ticks me off quickly. Meaning, what do you do with a rough draft? Well, you edit it, you mark it up, you cross it out, you change it so that you can produce a better version of the rough draft moving forward. And a lot of people think, well, God, thank you. This has been enormously helpful, but, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to X that and I'm going to rip that out. And that, you know, that verse, I'm not sure. And then people start to get real, real fancy. And, oh, I studied it in the original languages, which nine times out of ten, they don't, they don't know anything about the original languages. And if you look here, it says this, and then, and, and this doesn't really mean that. I mean, that, that was written to a different culture and applies to them, but not to us. Let me edit the word. 
Let me control it. Let me take it and twist it and turn it and let me make a better version of it. Lord, thank you. Just let me, and let me help you out and offer you a hand and improve upon it a little bit. And the bottom line is God doesn't need you to be his editor. He's fine. His word is just fine. Some Christians, similar to the centurion man in Matthew 8, treat God's word like it's their authority. Meaning, God made me. God designed me. God knew my members and he fashioned me before I was even born. And he knows what's going to lead me to life. He knows what's going to lead me to happiness. He knows what's going to lead me to my, to my good. So he gave me his word and it's here in his word that I find him. It's here in his word that I find the redemption story over and over and over again that so impacts my heart. And it's here in his word that I find what is his glory and my good and what I'm supposed to do. And I look at his word and it tells me sometimes when my thinking is off, it tells me sometimes when I'm walking the wrong way. It tells me sometimes things that are against my grain, and I think, oh, that's culturally regressive. I don't know that I would have written that, but it's not my job to change it or edit it or improve upon it or apologize for it. It's my job to read it and to study it and to obey it and to engage with it and say, Lord, your word has supreme weight in my life. I will gladly put myself under the umbrella of its authority and I will allow it to change my direction if need be. I will allow it to speak into my life. And I hope that if you're a regular part of this church that you have personally made this decision because I can promise you that corporately we've made this decision. This is one of the governing principles, if not the first and foremost principle that governs our church is that the Bible alone is our authority known in the Latin as sola scriptura, but it just means the Bible and the Bible alone is our authority and we as a church corporately have committed ourselves deeply to say that we are going to follow his word and when his word says do something, we do it. When it says don't do something, we don't. If there's something that it doesn't say and is left up for us just to figure out with wisdom and the Holy Spirit's help, then we'll just figure it out with the wisdom and the Holy Spirit's help. But we have corporately committed that his word will govern us. And while I'm thankful for, for creeds and for confessions and for catechisms and for all kinds of things that are helpful tools, those are not the word of God. This is the word of God. We want it to govern us and to have full control. So that means that if the Bible says share your faith and then those that come to faith in Jesus baptize them, then we share our faith and those that come to faith in Jesus, we baptize them. That's not a negotiable. But it also means that when we're picking out seats and how wide they should be and what color they should be and how comfortable they should be, which by the way, I think our seats are very comfortable. I've sat in some pews that are terrible in my day and I like our seats, but it doesn't matter. Pew, seat, you know, this color, this high, this wide, it doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say, so we just, we choose what we feel is best. It means that when the Bible says that we should worship the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that we should sing with grace in our hearts and with melody to the Lord, and I hope that some of you will jump in the Christmas musical and you'll do just that with Matt and Amy and that you'll enjoy that experience, that we do sing, that we do worship, that that's a non-negotiable, that we do that, but it also means that there's certain things that the scriptures don't vividly tell us. Piano or organ or neither or both or trumpet or it doesn't say you get to figure that out for yourself. So we allow that to govern us corporately and I hope that you would make that choice personally. That you would say, I am going to willingly put myself, my family, my children under the authority of the word of God. I give it power in my life. I am going to give it authority. Now, 
if you wonder why should I make this choice, I want to answer that question. I think it's a valid question to answer. And I'm going to say this first and I'll answer it. I, I had thought about giving you like a ton of information on just the reliability and the trustworthiness of Scripture, which I'm going to do none of today. If you would like more information on that and you legitimately have questions, you legitimately are skeptical, you legitimately are searching and you want facts to, can I really put full stock and full confidence in the Word of God? Please write that on your connection card and turn it in the offering plate. I would love to send you this week some, some different talks that I've done or some of my notes or some different things on fulfilled prophecy in the Bible and historical accuracy and scientific accuracy and what archaeology has, has affirmed about the Bible and the wonderful unity of the Bible and the bestseller of all time. I would love to give you all of that, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to talk head to head. I want to talk heart to heart. Here's why. From, from a heart perspective, from just a what you can feel and take stock in perspective, why you should make this choice to say Scripture is my authority. Here's why. In God's Word, you find heaven. It is in the Word of God that if you are perplexed and you are looking at your future with question marks and you're thinking, I don't know what would happen to me if I faced eternity today, then you don't have to be perplexed because the Bible tells us not just what heaven is like, but it tells us how to go to heaven. As a, as a young man, I was in church. I was very religious. I read the scriptures, but I was faced with the question, do you know for sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven? And my honest answer to that had to be, no, I do not know that. And I'm thankful that someone showed me from the Bible how I could know that. And if that's the need of your heart this morning, I hope that you would know that and that you would come to terms with that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can go to heaven. And it's not that you work for it. It's not that you earn it. It's not that you deserve it even, but it's that you receive it by faith. And the message of the Bible is that not everybody's going to heaven. The Bible says that over and over and over again, but at the same time it says that you don't have to miss it and that you can go to heaven no matter who you are or what you've done. It's not about who you are or what you've done. It's about Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him and accepting the free gift. So if you've never done that, I hope that you will. This was a talk that Jesus had with his disciples. He said, man, your heart's troubled. I'm going away, but know that in my Father's house are many mansions and you can be there with me. And whether I go, you know, in the way, you know. And Thomas said, Jesus, we don't exactly know where you're going. I don't, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to get there. And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody goes to the Father but by me. Thomas, it's through me. And if you, have, you have to understand that on the finished work of Jesus and his merit, not your merit, his merit, you can have heaven as your home freely as a gift if you will accept it today. And I hope that you will if you never have. But also in God's word, I find hope. I find heaven, but I find hope. I find a confident expectation that better things are ahead. And I can be confident in that because his word says so. And there are times where we need to know that good can still come of our future. There are times where we need to know that we haven't messed up our lives so bad that God doesn't want to use us anymore. We need to know that he's not done with us. We need to know that we're not trapped into the cycle of failing and falling and bumbling and fumbling through life and never being able to figure it out. But that you can, with the help and the grace and the strength of the Lord, you can rise up and be the Christian or the man or the woman that he wants you to be. You can find hope there. Jesus found hope there. 
Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted, and after 40 days of fasting, Satan came to him, and Satan tempted him, and Jesus answered Satan with Scripture, but not just any Scripture. Here's the Scripture that Jesus used. As it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, he's quoting Deuteronomy, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here is Jesus in an especially vulnerable state, and Satan comes to him, And he quotes this scripture that says, yes, my physical body needs food. Materially, I need food. But there's a different part of me. There's an immaterial part of me that doesn't need physical food that needs the word of God. There's a part of me deep down where I need strength for the temptation. I need strength for the trial. It's here that I find hope that I need to live by the word of God and that material part of me needs to be fed with it. And he quotes that. It's there that you find hope. It's in God's word that you find help. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you need wisdom? You need counsel? You need direction? You need guidance? I know that pastorally, our pastoral staff would love to help. I'm sure that your parents or that your siblings or that people around you in your life would help. But I tell you, there is no replacement for the Word of God. There is no replacement for the help that you can find there. You want to know how marriage is supposed to go? Look in there, it'll tell you. You want to know how a family is supposed to operate? Look in Scripture, it'll tell you. You want to know how you're supposed to handle finances? Look in the Bible, it will tell you. You want to know how to treat people around you, even those that are difficult, even those that are against you, even those that naturally you want to be angry and malicious with? Look in Scripture, it will tell you what to do. And there are days that you will face and I will face where everything seems distorted and everything seems confused and you're headed in the wrong direction. And it's on those days that you need to get alone with Scripture and and open it up and begin to read it and allow God's word to change your direction, to correct your faulty thinking, and to put you on the right path. You will find help in Scripture if you will go to Scripture. It will help you. And on top of that, in God's word, you will find healing. And this is a big deal. I knew that I would not get through this emotionally unscathed this morning. There will come a day, and for many of us this week, when you get punched in the soul, a day when you will wonder, how do I move forward internally? What do I do? It seems like the sense of your soul being satisfied is so foreign and so distant. And it is here in heaven's apothecary that you can open up scripture and you can find a healing balm that that no real doctor could give to you, that only God can give to you. That you can open this up and you can find medicine that your soul needs. How many people have run to Psalm 23 and found hope and help and healing inside of he restores my soul and his rod and his staff they comfort me thou anointest my head with oil i've needed this week the medicine of first corinthians 10 that god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but he will with that temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it that based on the faithfulness of God, I can know that this can be born and, and I can get through this. 
I've needed Romans 11 this, this week to open up and look at verse 33 and say, oh, the depth of the, of the wisdom and the, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who's given unto him that he'll repay him? I've needed that this week. I've needed the, the healing that that has brought to my heart. And if you don't have God's word as your authority, you miss that. You treat it like, like trip cancellation insurance. You will hit a crisis and you'll, you have nothing to stand on other than your own faults and, and fears and faulty thinking. And it's there that you find that. It's even in God's word, believe it or not, that you find happiness. Psalm 1 says of a man who meditates on the word of God and values it supremely that he was blessed and that his delight was in the law of the Lord. Blessed is that man. And I promise you that if you will find God's word as your authority, you too can find a blessedness and you can find a delight that the world cannot give and cannot take away, but Scripture can. And you can find it there, a happiness that you need. And you say, Pastor, okay, I'm on board. I want, I want, to, I want to do this. I'm in. I want to make this choice. I want God's word as my authority. How do I do this? Which I think is a valid question. How would I practically live this out? And I want to at least help you that way. You have to know this first. Know that if you want to live this choice out practically, and it must be lived out practically, that you will have some discipline, and you will have some desire, and you will have some delight, and probably in that order. It is, it is going to take, with the help of the Lord, some discipline and some stick to itness and some, and some doing you know, scripture and reading and studying and meditating, sometimes even when you don't feel like it, but that will turn into desire and that will eventually turn into delight. I experienced this with prayer just yesterday. It was whatever time it was, prayer meeting started at 7.30 and I woke up at six something and I honestly, I did not feel like going to prayer meeting. Can I be honest? I did not feel like going to prayer meeting yesterday. I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go pray. I didn't, I didn't want to do any of it. But I got out of bed and, and made myself, and I got here despite me thinking 18 times, maybe I'll just text Pastor Smith and have him run prayer meeting. Uh, despite that, I, there was some discipline, and I got here, and Joe started to talk about Jesus and the garden and what he went through and, and how he went to prayer. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, a desire started to come inside of me that now, now I'm here, now I'm wanting to pray. And then we started praying, and wouldn't you know it, we started praying, and we started crying, and we started expressing ourselves to the Lord and asking for his help and asking for his word. And all of a sudden, a delight began to come, and by the time we get up off our knees, I was a completely different person. There was discipline, there was desire, there was delight. Normally in that fashion, and you have to know that it will take some of that, but if you, if you will do it and if you will commit to it, here's practically how you can live this out. Four ways quickly. Pursue it. By pursue it, I mean read it every day and absorb it every chance you get. I mean open God's word every day. You say, how long? Ask God. You'll figure it out. Long enough to get something from it. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it may be. You can be a, a chapters, I'm personally a time, more than a chapters 
But, but it's a great place to start just to say, okay, practically I choose this, so I am going to read it every day. I may not understand everything that I read. I may not, I may not be able to figure all of it out, but there's something there and I'm going to read it. If you're looking on where to start, I haven't really, pastor, it's been sitting on the shelf collecting dust for a long time. I, ha- I don't open it for myself at all. Where do I start? We'll start in the Johns. Read John's gospel. Then there's three little Johns at the back of the Bible. Then, then, then read those, not little John, the, the Cartwright. Wasn't that or heart, whatever he was. You know I'm talking, that was little Joe. Who's little John? Robin Hood. Doesn't matter, all right? Start in John. Start there. Read John's and, and you'll, you'll end up, go back to the Gospels and read that if, if you need to. There's, there's all kinds of tools to help you read the Bible. It's on our phones. It's in our, it's in our app store. It, it's all over the place. Read it every day. There's no excuse for that. Put it on audio if you need to. Then absorb it every chance you get. Absorb it. Live in it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is why we have umpteen billion opportunities to absorb the Word of God at church. Like every day, there's some opportunity probably for you to absorb the Word of God. We have Sunday school where there's community and connection, but there's also the Word of God being taught. We have morning service. We have a completely different evening service. We have Wednesday, different Bible studies. We have Tuesdays, ladies' Bible study, Thursday, ladies' Bible study, Monday, men's Bible study. All over the place are opportunities for you to absorb the Word of God just through your local church. But even beyond that, you have radio, you have podcasts, you have, you have all kinds of ways to absorb and to take in the Word of God. There's no excuse not to absorb it every chance you get. If you don't have enough discernment and you really don't know who is the good person on TV, who's the bad people on TV, who, who are the people that I should listen to on the radio, who are the people going to lead me astray, ask someone that's older, wiser than you, that, that's walked Christianity for a while, and they'll help you and they'll guide you. They'll point you to some, to some valid YouTube channels or podcasts or whatever it may be. But absorb the Word of God. to so pursue it. Then pray over it. This is simple, but many people miss this. Pray over it. There are all kinds of prayers in Scripture that people are praying, Lord, would you speak to me through your word as they're reading the word, before they read the word. This is so, so important for you to prime your heart and approach Scripture just simply. I I recommend just pray the prayers of Scripture verbatim. I gave you four or five in, in your outline today. Lord, teach me thy statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. That, those are all just from one chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119. But that's, this is why when we, before we preach, we always pray. Why? Because that's just what we do around here. We're just going through the motions. We're, no, and the prayer is almost always the same. It's to the tune of, God, would you meet with us? God, would you speak with us? We want you to help us understand your word. It's the same thing, like every week. But we want to pray over the word before we present the word and say, Lord, help us, speak to us. We want it. So pursue it, pray over it, ponder it. By this, I mean, ask the text tough questions, meditate upon it. You say, what do I ask the text? I, once again, I put them in your outline. Here's a great place to start. How does this show me the nature and character of God? What does this teach me about God and his heart? How, how does this point me back to Jesus? What part of my reading stood out to me? Why? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there a blessing to enjoy? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to confess? Is there a new thought to carry with me? All great questions to not just read and close it, but to read and then circle back around to those and say, what am I looking for? Is there some of this? Is there something that I can glean? Then meditate on it. The Bible recommends that over and over and over and over, that you meditate on the Word of God. It's so valid. And it's biblical meditation and modern meditation are miles apart from each other. Modern meditation is I empty myself. 
I pour myself out. I get all of my thoughts out of the way. I get up on some ethereal cloud and I, I, I empty myself. Biblical meditation is I fill myself up. I don't disconnect my mind and get to a state of nothingness. I engage my mind and I consider the text and I pour my mind into it and I think and I think and I chew and I chew and I process and I process and I meditate upon it. You say, Pastor, I can't do that. That's like an all the time thing. That's like every day I have a lot going on. There's a lot on my mind. Yes, you can. I'll prove it. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't know whatever time it was for you. Maybe you were super techie and you got right on the ball to begin with. But 15 years ago, you did not have a cell phone in your purse or in your pocket that you pulled out and you looked at all the time. How many times a day? 100, 200, 300, who knows? That it's there now, you learned. You figured out how to have something that you look at and go back to over and over and over and over again every day, all day. You learned, you figured it out. So I promise you, you can do the same thing with scripture if you want to. You can, I don't care how you do it, write on an index card, put, get some sort of window paint and paint it on your windshield if you want. I don't care. Do something, but remind, use your phone. Have your phone remind you every hour to consider the verse for your week or whatever it may be. But you can meditate on it. You can chew on it. You can find sustenance there if you meditate on the word. Psalm 119, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I meet very few people who have that testimony. Ooh, I love, I just, I love this. I love it. It is my meditation. I could put it under my pillow. I just, I love his word. I don't meet a lot of people like that. But it should be. It should be our meditation. It should be something that we are pondering constantly. Lastly, preserve it. Now, how do I preserve it? Well, you memorize it. His word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You memorize it personally. I'm a terrible memorizer. I need to do better at that. But you memorize his word and then you share it. You want to preserve the word of God in your heart. You want to take a giant step forward spiritually. Share it with other people. I learn more about God's word in preparation to share it with you than any other time. Because I need to learn it myself. I need to take it to myself. You sharing it with other people is for other people, but you sharing it with other people is also for yourself. You get to preserve it and you get to hang on to it. So share the gospel with other people. Share your testimony with other people. Teach your children. I'm glad you have Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and Pastor Mark and other people to teach your children, but you teach your children and you teach your grandchildren and you open up the word and you help them see what is right and what is wrong. You start a class at your school or at your place of work or some sort of Bible study. You say, I don't know all the answers. Well, then start the Bible study. Have your eight coworkers come and start week one with give me your questions I probably don't know any of the answers but give me your questions I'll write them down I'll pray about them I'll research them this week and come back next week at nine o'clock and I'll give you the answers to them then but you can do that you can share it with other people I know this because Jesus won people to himself and turned them loose to go tell the people all the time woman at, at, at the the Samaritan woman at the well it didn't take her but 10 seconds to go tell the people all the great things that the Lord had done for her and to get a bunch of people rallied around Jesus to hear Jesus. Maniac of Gadara, he leads, him to the, he leads him to himself. Now he's closed, sitting in his right mind. It hasn't been 24 hours. And the maniac says, Jesus, sign me up. I'll be your disciple. And Jesus says, no, no, no. 
You're not, you're not gonna be my disciple. Go home to Decapolis and declare to them what great things the Lord hath done for thee. You go tell them. No training, no Sunday school, no denominational backing, no seminary, no little primer booklet to take with him and to study, no even New Testament scriptures to hold in his hand. Nothing, just Jesus did this for me. I know what he did for me. I'm gonna go tell other people. So if that man had everything he needs, I promise you you have everything that you need. I'm not saying don't study. I'm not saying don't learn. I'm not saying don't improve yourself or improve your biblical knowledge or acumen. I'm not saying that. You should do that. But don't think that, well, oh, I have to go to seminary or I have to know as much as Mark or this guy or that guy, and then I can share Jesus with people. No, that's nonsense. Share it. Preserve his word. Hide it in your heart. Memorize it and give it to other people. You want to stow it in your heart. You want to show it in your life, and you want to sow it in the world. That's what you want to do with Scripture. And I, I cannot implore you strongly enough to choose this, this choice. I choose God's Word as my authority. If you will make this decision, it will make a thousand others for you. It will help you see clearly when you otherwise would not have seen clearly. It will help you decide over and over and over again every single day of your life if you will make this one choice, it will be my authority. And based on that, I am going to pursue and pray and ponder and preserve. I'm going to engage in this. So Lord, like the centurion man, I recognize your, I respect your word. I put it on a pedestal. I value it. I know that there's power there and I know there's authority there. I know there is help there. So I gladly put myself under it. Make that choice.